0: Well good morning everyone. My name is Cyril Turner, and I am the MLA for Spruce Grove and Stony Plain and thank you very much for joining us and thank you Spruce Grove Emergency and Protective Services for hosting us here today. It's great to have the opportunity to meet all the amazing crews that respond to calls in our community each and every day and I know everyone in Spruce Grove and surrounding areas appreciates your service. I thank you on their behalf for your dedication and for the excellent quality of care you provide. We are joined here today by Minister of Health Jason Copping, EMS Reform Parliamentary Secretary R.J. Sigurdsson, Interim President and CEO of of Alberta Health Services, Mauro Cheese, and Mayor of Spruce Grove, Mayor Jeff Acker. We're also joined by Spruce Grove Fire Chief Robert Kosterman as well as Councillors, Daniel Carter and Jan Gillett, as well as the Deputy Fire Chief from Strathcona County. So thank you all very much for being here. I would also like to welcome in attendance here today, representatives of the Alberta Professional Firefighters and Paramedics Association. And thank you very much for the service that you provide to our communities. We're here to provide updates on the work being done to improve emergency medical services and with that, I would like to invite Health Care Minister Jason Copping to the podium.
1: Good morning, everyone. Um, it's great to be here at uh, Spruce Grove Emergency and Protective Services. Thanks for that kind uh, introduction, Emily Turton. Uh, it's great to be back in, in your neck of the woods. Uh, and, uh, and Mayor Acker and Fire Chief Koshman, thank you for having us here today. It's greatly appreciated. And thank you for all to all the cross-trained firefighter paramedics here in Spruce Grove and EMS staff across our entire province for providing the best care for Albertans in their time of most urgent need. We recognize the value of different EMS service delivery models that make up our system, from AHS direct delivery to municipally run and integrated services like the one right here in Spruce Grove. And I know all EMS workers across the province have been feeling the impact of the significant increase of 911 calls. The volume of calls has gone up by as much as 30% over the past year and a half since the summer of 2021. And you know better than I that there was no slack in the system before, and there's just no way to respond to 30% more calls without real strain on the system. And over the holidays, that call volume was even higher province-wide, it was 40% higher than the 2018-19 weekly average. COVID itself is no longer the reason for this kind of workload increase, but the pandemic continues to disrupt the health system in Alberta, in other provinces, and in fact, in other countries around the world. On top of the increase in calls, of course, the paramedics and other staff in EMS are tired after two and a half years of the pandemic. The reality is EMS is under tremendous pressure. Response times are too long, and we have to get them back down. And that means adding resources and using new strategies to make sure our paramedics can be there when they're needed. We formed the Alberta EMS Provincial Advisory Committee last January, led by my colleague, MLA R.J. Sigurdsson, who's now the Parliamentary Secretary for EMS Reform. The committee invited EMS partners to bring forward solutions. Then in the February budget, we allocated an additional $64 million for EMS. AHS also launched its 10-point plan for EMS last January. We also kept our promise to conduct an independent review of the dispatch system. And finally, reducing our EMS response times is one of the four priority areas under our healthcare action plan we launched in November, led by AHS Administrator Dr. John Cowell. And today I am pleased to release two reports from the Advisory Committee that I formed last January and from the Independent Review of EMS Dispatch. The government accepts all the recommendations in both reports. We're implementing some of them and working on an implementation plan right now for actions not already underway. And I would like to thank all the frontline workers and EMS partners for their input and for sharing their ideas and solutions to improve the healthcare system and our EMS system. As I mentioned, we tasked the official administrator with accelerating the needed changes and improving Albertans' experience from when they call 911 to when they get to the hospital. And today, I'm here to share a number of ways we're moving ahead with implementing these actions already. We're increasing the number of ambulances in our busiest centers. And we're putting a new policy in place to get paramedics out of hospital waiting rooms so they can respond to the next 911 call. Edmonton and Calgary will get 20 additional ambulances during the peak hours in the coming months. That's on top of the 19 ambulances we've already added this year, in both cities. Putting those additional ambulances and EMS staff on the road in Edmonton and Calgary will speed up response times in the cities and in the surrounding communities. It means more ambulances can stay in their home community, such as right here in Spruce Grove. Another important step we're taking is fast-tracking ambulance transfers in emergency departments. A new provincial policy has just come into effect to support this. The detailed policy is only for stable and less urgent patients arriving by ambulance. We know paramedics can get tied up for hours in busy hospitals until less urgent patients are admitted. Speeding up EMS transfers at hospitals will get paramedics and ambulances back on the road to respond to Albertans' 911 calls sooner. Now, Creating this standardized policy was recommended by the Advisory Committee, and I'm pleased that it's now in place. We're also changing the way we handle non-emergency transfers between hospitals and other facilities. This is to make sure more ambulances are available to respond to emergencies. Now, AHS has updates on this work, and Mauro Kies will give you the details in a minute. We're also empowering paramedics to assess a patient's outcome on the scene and decide whether or not they need to be taken by emergency by ambulance. The team here in Spruce Grove has already begun piloting this approach, which is another of the advisory committee recommendations. Firemen, Chief Kosterman, will be speaking about that shortly as well. As you can see, with all our actions on EMS and in other areas, help is on the way to improve our healthcare system. I know it's been a very tough winter. There's some reason to hope we're past the worst of it, as we saw on Friday when AHS reopened all the services in the Flames Rotary Rotary House and unwound some of their overcapacity measures they they had put in place in the Alberta Children's Hospital. We had early and severe waves of flu and RSV, and it looks like those waves have passed, at least for now. It's still a very tough winter regardless, and we need to keep adding capacity in EMS and across our entire healthcare system. We made Albertans a promise in 2019, a stronger publicly funded health system with better access to care and we're delivering on that province. So thank you again for coming this morning, and I'll turn it over to my colleague and friend, MLA Sigerson, Parliamentary Secretary, and also the individual who co-chaired the APAC report. MLA Sigurdsson.
2: Thank you everyone, uh, good morning. It's great to be here today. I'd also like to thank the municipality of Spruce Grove and as well Spruce Grove Protective Services for hosting us today. And most importantly, thank our frontline workers who tirelessly every day protect our communities. Um, during my time as co chair of the EMS Advisory Committee, I had the pleasure of meeting many paramedics, EMS staff, and leaders. I appreciate the opportunity to hear their innovative ideas and recommendations about what can be done to improve the system. The committee's 30 members brought a wealth of experience to the table. Members ranged from municipalities, uh, associations, service delivery partners, and Indigenous community representatives to the union representing paramedics and other key partners from across the province. We also heard from more than 1,400 frontline EMS workers who provided their valuable input through a survey and during two town hall meetings. The result of this nine-month collaboration is 53 recommendations to improve the EMS system, which I am pleased that it is being published today to the public all across Alberta. The recommendations tackle areas of performance, accountability, capacity, operations, efficiencies, and workforce. As the minister shared, Alberta's government has accepted all the recommendations we put forward in the report. I'm proud to say that we have already begun putting some of these recommendations into action to improve EMS coverage and to ease pressure on staff. That includes two pilots underway here in Spruce Grove that empower firefighter paramedics to make decisions such as cancelling ambulance dispatch if they can treat patients on site and refer them to other services. I'm looking forward to our continued work with EMS partners as we roll up more actions and implement the remaining recommendations from the APAC report. As Parliamentary Secretary of EMS Reform, bringing down EMS response times and easing the stress on our overworked EMS workforce are my top priorities. The actions underway to free up paramedics and EMS staff from waiting at hospitals for hours will boost the number of available ambulances and help ease the strain on our frontline workers. Paramedics and EMS staff have told us they are overextended and exhausted. They made it clear that spending a chunk of their long shift in non-emergency transfers, such as routine medical appointments, is not an appropriate use of their level of skills. That's why we're moving ahead with finding other appropriate options for these non-emergency transfers. We will also prioritize advisory committee recommendations to support our frontline workers. That includes improving mental health supports for our EMS staff. Frontline workers have told us there is a need for more regular, sustained and effective mental health check-ins and supports. We need to make this happen and take care of those who answer Albertans' call for help in a time of their most urgent needs. I'm pleased that AHS continues to hire and add EMS staff to respond to the increase in emergency calls. They've hired nearly 460 new EMS staff in 2022, including more than 340 paramedics. That's at a time when provinces across the country are competing to attract EMS EMS workers. To all our new paramedics and EMS workers, welcome aboard. We're committed to make we are committed to making improvements and continuing to listen to how we can make things better. Our priority is to fix EMS and the healthcare system so Albertans can get the emergency care they need where and when they need it. I look forward to the continued engagement and working with our municipal partners who play a key and important role in the system across Alberta. Thank you, and I will now turn it over to Mauro Kias, Interim President and CEO of Alberta Health Services.
3: Thanks, MLA Sigurdsson and Minister. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for the opportunity to be here and uh, speak to you at this event today. I'm pleased to be able to speak about the progress of the EMS work underway to improve our response times for Albertans. We very much appreciate government support and action on EMS priorities and we would like to thank the entire membership of the advisory committee for its commitment to action and innovative solutions. I'd also like to take a moment to recognize the social media and media attention focused on our challenges within the EMS system. We very much appreciate the people that are concerned and want to help both with their ideas and with their advocacy. The advisory panel has helped us engage both individuals, groups, and create a meaningful discussion where we can collaboratively address these ongoing issues and pressures. As Minister Copping noted, we already have completed several actions in 2022 designed to help create system capacity. I'd like to focus today on the path forward and just say a few things that we'll be doing in 2023 to ensure that Albertans will have access to EMS when they are experiencing a life-threatening emergency. Improving EMS response times is one of the four top priorities for our official administrator, AHS, and Alberta Health. We're committed to work to improve EMS response times and ensure that Albertans needing emergency care will receive that care. Minister Coffing referred to uh, non-emergency transfers that are being managed between hospitals and facilities. And to continue supporting this focus, AHS will be seeking services to provide interfacility transports, or IFTs, for non-urgent patients requiring transport between hospitals and care centres in Edmonton and Calgary, and surrounding areas. By contracting out these non-urgent transfers, AHS will free up ambulances and paramedics to focus on emergency medical responses in Alberta's two largest cities. Additional benefits to this plan include improvements in response times, maintaining ambulances in their home communities, improving on-time arrivals for scheduled appointments, and allowing paramedics to finish their shifts with less overtime and contributing to a proper work-life balance for our staff. This is different from our recent announcement on non-ambulance transfer, or NATS, which supports our emergency and acute care teams in suggesting non-ambulance alternative transportation options, such as home care shuttles, taxis, and other means to move patients who are medically stable or are ready to return home in other care environments, and that is being implemented right now. While the non-ambulance transfer project is for non-clinical transports, such as Albertans discharged from a facility or an acute care facility, the IFT, RFEIOQ, or Request for Expression of Interest, and quotation, will be able to seek providers that have the appropriate capabilities to handle non-emergency patient transfers that still require clinical care between hospitals and care centres in Edmonton and Calgary. We must ensure that patients requiring care from our EMS are getting that care while we improve the efficiency of the EMS patient flow, both within EMS, across the emergency department, and our acute care environment. We continue to work on these initiatives, including a secondary triage that we'll be sharing a little bit more about in the future. I want to thank our EMS teams for all that they're doing for care for Albertans during this busy time and recognize that their efforts are nothing short of heroic. Once again, I'd like to extend my gratitude for the province for helping us action in innovative solutions to improving our EMS response times. And I'd now like to welcome to the podium Fire Chief Robert Kosterman to say a few words.
4: Good morning. My name is Robert Kosterman. I'm proud to serve as the Fire Chief for the City of Spruce Grove. I'd first like to thank Minister Coping, MLA Turton, Emily uh Sergitson, Morrow Keys, Mayor Acker, and all the other distinguished guests for being here today. As you know, we operate an integrated fire EMS service here in Spruce Grove, which provides medical care to patients, as well as traditional uh, fire rescue services. All of our staff in Spruce Grove are medically trained, with the vast majority of them being advanced care paramedics, and there is always advanced care paramedics on any piece of apparatus responding within Spruce Grove. In the fall of 2022, with the support and endorsement of Alberta Health Services, we launched two pilot projects aimed at increasing efficiencies, reducing delays, and most importantly, getting critical patients to the hospital faster. The first pilot project, supporting critical patient transfer, allows Spruce Grove firefighters, who are advanced care paramedics, to attend medical calls and, if required, transport patients by logging in an additional ambulance available within Spruce Grove and responding to the hospital transporting the patient. This greatly reduced potential delay of waiting for an additional ambulance to make these critical patient transfers. In the last four months, we have transported several patients in the Edmonton area hospitals for critical care as part of this pilot program. The second pilot is the expanded medical first responder role pilot, which allows Spruce Grove Fire Service members to free up Alberta Health Service's ambulances and resources, even before uh, those resources were to arrive on scene. The Spruce Grove Fire Service paramedics may determine if a patient requires transport. Consulting with the patient in online medical care, determination can be made that an ambulance is not required, freeing that ambulance up to go to another call. Since the pilot began last September, we've had more than 20 calls where our paramedics were able to take advantage of this process and free up an ambulance. As an example, recently there was a a 60-year-old cancer patient who called for assistance Uh, The patient required uh, immediate attention for pain relief. The crew were able to administer the appropriate drugs to deliver the pain relief, and then in consultation with their physician, were able to determine the patient did not need to go to hospital and therefore freed up an ambulance. Our integrated department has seen great success throughout these pilots, and it's rewarding to see the results, uh, helping to inform future steps to reduce stress on the ambulance system. We could not have taken on project, these projects with the support of Alberta Health Services and the Government of Alberta. Thanks to this partnership and collaboration, we've been able to relocate resources and restructure our response models so we can provide a better level of emergency service not only to our community, but to the greater region. We look forward to continuing collaboration with Alberta Health Services and Government of Alberta in the future. Thank you.
5: Uh, we'll start now with the question and answer portion of our uh, program. Uh, We'll ask that on-topic questions go first, and if we have time, we'll go to off-topic. We'll start in the room, uh, state your name and outlet, and uh, one question, one follow-up.
0: Hi, Audrey Neveur from Radio Canada, French CBC. Uh, my question can be for Minister Copping, but if, if someone wants to jump in, please please go ahead. Uh, I want to know, um, since there is such a shortage of paramedics right now and we have 300 to 400 missing ships every week, what's your plan to uh, increase the staff for uh, ambulances and ensure that you can staff the additional 20 uh, ambulances you just announced?
1: Great. Well, thanks for the question. And we we recognize that there is a, a shortage of, of healthcare professionals generally, and so it's paramedics, nurses, doctors. Um, so our, our our approach is similar in all cases. First is we're training our own, right? So we've increased the uh, number of seats for uh, for paramedics a, a, across the uh, across the province. Uh, so we're focusing on on recruitment. Uh, also, in, and I don't know, more if you want to speak. For the second, we're actually looking at um, going afield. A we understand in, in Australia, for example, that they have a surplus of paramedics that they trained up, so we're looking to use immigration as a way to be able to support that. Um, plus, you know, and this is the key work that uh, Parliamentary Secretary Sigurdsson is doing, is how do we retain? So it's not only about... Um, you know, attracting more people and to hire more people to expand, uh, expand. Uh, but it, it's actually keeping the ones that we have. Uh, and that's part of the, the, you know, excited about this report, focusing on, on you know, how do we support uh, paramedics and mental health? And also, how do we actually change the um, uh, the work-life balance piece? So the core flex, so part of budget 2022 uh, was in investing, particularly in rural areas, uh, into a, a core flex model. Um, you know, so having people be on duty, quite frankly, Uh, when they, there's fewer calls, but, you know, for long periods of time, you know, be on duty for a core period of time and then flex the rest, but they're still on call. Isn't working when you have a higher call volume, so we're actually uh, putting in regular schedules to be able to do this. So all of this uh, combined, and, and, and we've had, has some success. You know, between, uh, January 1st and December, uh, and, uh, in December, uh, in 2022, uh, we hired 341 ad- additional paramedics. So we are going to continue uh, to do that. We recognize that we can't, we can't fill all the shifts. Uh, so training, uh, immigration, uh, and then holding on to the people that we have. But I don't know if, uh, Mauro, you want to speak further to the work that AHS is doing. That would be great.
3: Thanks, Minister. Yeah, I think you look at it from a demand capacity component of it. And so the recruitment initiative we talked about, particularly in Australia, is where we're focusing. Over the past year, we've been very successful at recognizing there are still a lot of vacancies in the system. The initiatives that we put in place and continue to put in place, particularly from the APEC report, are also going to look at reducing the capacity demand on the EMS system. When you look at the NATs that we've already introduced, the interfacility facility transport, uh, some of the components that we're going to be doing in the emergency room, those misshifts then become a bit of a less issue because those services that are normally provided by paramedics are freed up so that they can respond to more urgent calls.
0: Thank you. And my second question is, when will the protocols for uh, the paramedics evaluating on site if a patient needs to go to a hospital and also non-urgent patients being discharged at the hospital without waiting for them, when will those protocols be uh, ready and implemented?
3: Yeah, protocol and policies have been approved already. They'll be implemented as we speak. It'll take time to train up between the two of them. So over the coming weeks, we'll start to see the rollout that'll start to advance in both of those areas.
1: Thanks, Ken. Just one last, just one last comment. The the other thing in terms of retention um, is the, I mean, we've heard from, and, and I don't know if uh, Prime Minister Secretary Circus wants to comment on, but we've heard from paramedics, they don't want to spend their time sitting in the hospitals. So, to the extent that we can actually improve that and get them out, uh, that'll actually help retention. But I don't know, Emily, Secretary, do you want to comment for that. With the APEC report
2: of the 1,400 uh, that we uh, spoke to, um, they definitely expressed a lot of frustration about the time they spend in hospital when it comes to low-acuity patients to be able to, um, you know, turn around and get back onto the street. Some of them even used um, terms like being stuck there when they know calls are coming in, especially in their home communities, that they suffer, suffer a moral injury. So... Initiatives like today um, to be able to deal with IFTs is definitely going to uh, provide them greater turnaround to get back out to protect their communities, and with that as well, it creates a better uh, work environment for them because we're alleviating some of the stress on their normal day workload, so they have a little bit more time in between calls, and the. Um, ultimately, from what we heard, was they're doing what they want to do, which is to be able to respond to emergencies. So those key things will alleviate the stress on them, improve uh, their work environment, which we're going to see that, um, you know, improvement to their normal workday, which, uh, you know, is a lot to do with the mental health uh, initiatives that we're going to continue to move on, uh, which is very important because we understand the the stress that they've been seeing and and the workloads and how that's been impacting them over the last couple of years.
5: Go ahead, next question.
4: Hi, good morning, Morgan from Global Edmonton, uh, Minister. I'm wondering if you could get a little bit more s- specific about success metrics. I know we talk a lot about Dr. Cowell's mandate to like, for instance, reduce EMS wait times, but I'm wondering if you could be a bit more specific about what success will mean on the file.
1: Yeah, thanks for that. And and, and so, like, there's two key metrics when it comes from an EMS standpoint that we're looking at, and and really it's response times to uh, urgent calls, right? Um, And then the wait times at the uh, the handoff times in the hospital. So those are the key metrics that that, uh, uh, we're looking at, and success is actually driving them down. Uh, We will, um, you know, working with uh, uh, Dr. Cowell, in uh, AHS in terms of, okay, what does that look like over the next uh, number of months in, t- in terms of the improvement? Uh, so we'll be, be able to share more on that shortly in terms of the in those metrics. But it's not just the EMS side. It's the flow throughout the entire system. I don't know. Mauro, do you want to comment further on that? Okay.
3: I think as Minister Copy indicated... There are two key metrics for sure. We look at uh, some other ones as well. So the response time from the time an ambulance is dispatched to the time it actually arrives on scene. The second one is what we call the offload time in the hospital. So when the hospital... Can when the EMS team can safely transition, hand off the patient, and be available for the next call are probably the two, what I would say, easiest key metrics in it. The hospital flow components in our emergency department as well. We have a number of other initiatives and measures that we're working on as well that help it coincide to show that whole system flow.
4: And then I wanted to talk a little bit more about the two pilot projects in place here. Uh, I'm not sure when they wrap up, but if they are deemed successful, what's the expansion plan for elsewhere? Thank you. Regarding the success, both programs have been very successful. Um, Anytime that you can treat a patient and leave them in the home versus taking them to the hospital, that's a great advantage to the patient. What it also does is it frees up the fire crew. Instead of sitting waiting on scene for an ambulance to arrive, especially when the system is tasked, um, they are able to get back to their other duties quicker. It's good for the patient, it's good for the fire crew, and it's good for the ambulance system because that frees up a resource. On the second pilot, it's, it's very similar in the fact that the firefighters will respond with an actual ambulance that's out of service. It's not on the AHS system. They respond, and uh, if that patient needs critical transport, they're able to immediately transport, and that, that unit becomes an AHS unit. It goes into the system and is able to transport. So what this really does is gives uh, quicker service to the residents, but it also creates uh, cert- capacity within the system when it's very tasked that frees up other units that can go to other places and training everything's been completed they've been running we uh we anticipate both pilots to continue for their duration and based on the news here this morning will at least one of those pilots will be coming permanent thank you uh there's no time set right now for the end but we're looking at least going to the end of march and does anyone want to talk about further expansion or leave it at that
1: So we, we are assessing, like, part of the assessment, I'll maybe ask Mauro to you know, the high-level assessment is, okay, is this working? How the, And part of it is not only is, is it working, which it is, it's, okay, what is the process that's in place, and then can we actually scale that? So, so that's the, the thinking that's going on uh, right now in terms of the processes. How do we improve that? How, how, we, can, how we can scale that? And, and one of the other things that I'll, that I'll add is that, you know, one of the reports coming out of APEC, uh, or recommendations coming out of the APEC report, is uh, standing up. A, a committee to be able to do oversight with all with with the partners. Uh, so we are accepting that. Um, you know tentatively we've our great parliamentary secretary uh, for EMS RJ Sigurdsson is uh, is going to be leading that, ex- that 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 exercise and we'll be pulling more of the parties together to do oversight on all of these uh, uh, all of these recommendations uh, and then work with AHS and to roll out I don't know more do you want to call, comment further on the rollout
6: or or we'll leave it at that? We'll leave it at that for now.. thanks Go ahead with the next question? Hi, it's uh jeremy thompson with ctv news edmonton i've uh, just a question for minister Copping, i suppose wondering about money uh you know you mentioned the 64 million dollars in the last budget for uh for for this sort of thing you know beyond the um i guess the new ambulances what sort of spend are, are we looking at for for all the stuff or is there much of it
1: yeah so you know we yes, uh the recommendations we broke into a number of categories, um, you know, the stuff that we're going to actually, well, some we're acting on immediately, right, um, and it's already in flight. Uh, certain I- items, like I talked about, the uh, the committee will be able to set up this year. Uh, we are actually going forward as part of our budget for next year in terms of uh, asking for additional f- funding, um, and we're still working through, and this is part of the work that we've asked um um, probably much like a secret since to do, because if you actually look at both reports, the dispatch report and the APAC report, there's a lot of overlap. Um, and uh, so we haven't finalized all the costing. And some of the, the recommendations put forward is it's a, it's a concept, okay, we want you to pursue this, but in terms of the action plan and what's going to cost, we haven't done that work. So uh, we are looking for additional funding. Um, for next year to be able to move forward with uh, these recommendations. I'll be able to, I I don't want to come out ahead of the budget, uh, but part of the budget, that will be it. Plus, there's already work going on in terms of, okay, what does it look like over next year, the year after, and the year after that? Because quite frankly, you know, we're focused on short term to get our times down, but we also need to look at sustainability and there'll be additional dollars associated with that.
6: Is there a price tag for the ambulances, though, the the, the 20 new ones?
1: The, uh, yeah, I don't have that exact number with me, but we can get that to you, so...
6: And, and just uh, as, a, as a second one here, just reading through the reports I'll admittedly briefly <laughs> this morning um, especially on the um, the centralized dispatch uh, there were a number of sort of um, potential concerns that were found to either be substantiated or, or unsubstantiated with the centralized dispatch um, I think a, a fair few of them were substantiated that that those concerns did actually pan out but at the at the same time the report found they didn't really have even though they were substantiated they wouldn't have a meaningful impact on you know dispatch times and that sort of thing could you could you square that for me how, how can that be well as, as,
1: I, as I read the report you know the there were, you know if you actually go through it there were a number of concerns that were raised that saying like changing the dispatch actually you know significantly impacted the times and actually that that the, the response times, that wasn't the case. The response times did go up, but it wasn't because of the dispatch system. And, and once they worked through the issues, because, you know, in terms of you putting in a new system, you have to work, once you work through the issues, the actual times, the dispatch times went down or were not meaningfully, or were not meaningfully impacted, um, if you actually take a look at the report. But what the report did find, and this is the same thing that we find, you know, the uh, reason why we put out uh, the APEC uh, and all the recommendations is that the, the times still went up right, overall response times went up, not necessarily because of dispatch, but because the increase in call volume and not having sufficient resources. So that's why there's a huge overlap. And we've also asked Parliamentary Secretary Sigurdsson to say, look, at, let's line up both APEC and the uh, PwC report. You know, there's lots of overlap, and, and let's drive forward and, and develop a time both short and medium and long to make that happen.
5: Thank you very much. We'll go to the phones. Uh, operator, can you put, put through the first caller?
0: Michelle Belfontaine, CBC. Thanks for taking my question. I guess, my, you know, we, we were hearing about the idea of having going to Australia, for example, to recruit more paramedics. And what we're hearing from uh, the Health Sciences Association is that they have a number of contract paramedics that they want to turn into full time positions. I'm wondering if that is a factor, um, and if it's not a, something, a solution, then why not?
1: So that the uh, – the, sorry, it's just hard to hear. The question is whether or not we're looking at more uh, full-time than part-time positions as a way to retain and attract paramedics, if that's what I heard. Uh, I can tell you that that, that is something that's being uh, looked at by AHS right now.
0: Michelle, do you have follow it's, it's being looked
5: at. Oh, go ahead. I was just asking if you had a follow-up. Go ahead.
0: I do have a follow-up, yeah. But, but I'm wondering – this is an issue that the the union has identified for at least a year. So I'm wondering, what are the issues? Like you say, you're looking into it. So what, what are the issues with contract, like turning these positions into full time positions?
1: Yeah. So so I, I can't tell you. I'm going to pass it over to Morrow. In a second, I can't tell you. We actually have turned a number of temporary positions into, into full time permanent positions already. That's actually already occurred. Uh, you know, the, the the request is to say, do we need to do more of this? Um, and so that's being assessed. But I'll, I'll, Morrow, if you want to speak further on that.
3: So the request in terms of full-time positions and otherwise, it really comes down to sheer numbers. Right now we're still higher uh, vacancy rates across the organization, sick time still being a factor because of the triple threat of the Uh, respiratory season that we're having as we start to incrementally build up we'll be able to readjust and reassess the workforce to try to accommodate our teams to uh, to have appropriate shifts whether they're requesting full-time and part-time not easy in a system as complex as ours but it's really a matter of once we kind of resource up a little bit further we'll be able to reevaluate that and hopefully accommodate more of our staff
5: thank you very much um operator can
7: put through in the next caller
0: Tyson
7: Fedor, CTV. Uh, this one for the Minister or for Moro, uh, just in regards to some of the uh, the information in the reports regarding uh, a recommendation around patient health care information needing to be made available to uh, call evaluators and responding paramedics, uh, something that uh, HS should look at doing. And then, of course, is that something that is, is part of this? In the near future, is this something you're looking at down the road? I know that basically it allows paramedics to maybe fly into some calls blind. And then uh, in in response as well, the EMS uh, basically standing down from calls that they necessarily don't need to be at.
3: So, a bit difficult to hear the question. If I heard correctly, it regards to the sharing of patient information to our frontline staff and paramedics to be able to more appropriately treat patients at the scene. I think that was the question. I hope it was. And so, our rollout of Connect Care has some impacts in terms of information sharing for for patients for better care. Right now. Um, the, the communications between our ground crews back to our dispatch and to our hospitals have a fairly fluid. I don't think patient information sharing is really uh, a bit of a, 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 much of a barrier in terms of the care that can be done there. As we're training up the paramedics and they're going to be rolling out the assessment on scene, obviously our information system is going to be playing a very, very key uh, role in that for our uh, our paramedics and our physician triages to assess whether they can release patients at the scene or that they still have to bring them in. So, um, I'm not seeing that as a barrier right now, if, if that was your question.
7: Yeah, sorry, that was, uh, thank you for that. Uh, and just a just follow up, uh, th- there was one report not uh, released uh, today, and uh, one that's been uh, in the hands of AHS and Alberta Health, and the Minister Ormoro can comment on this, just in regards to that fatal dog attack in Calgary last year. Uh, is there a timeline on when uh, you plan on releasing that at all?
3: Yeah, that report will be released imminently. Uh HQCA was just doing uh, some final components on that, but that will be coming very, very shortly, an announcement on that as well.
5: Thanks very much. Operator, can you put through the uh, last caller?
7: Catherine Krakowski, Alberta today. Hi. Um, so so I understand that um, the timelines for all these recommendations are being worked out, so I'm wondering is there a timeline for a timeline of when we're going to actually see what's going to be implemented and when. Is, is the, that coming out before the budget? Is that coming out before the election? When are we going to know all of that information?
1: So thanks for the question. It's a combination of things. Uh, so some of it will be coming out, obviously, with the budget um, will be uh, um, the you know, what I would call the short and the medium term uh, we 'll be coming out with that in terms of the uh, the, uh, the funding uh, and we, but we 've also asked um, uh, parliamentary secretary Sig- Sigurdson uh, to work on you know blending both reports and the recommendations for for, for those reports so it 's going to be ongoing a, uh, a work in progress, but uh, over the next uh, number of weeks, especially when we come out the budget we 'll have a, a pretty good handle on what we you know the, the short and the uh, and the medium term uh, the longer term may take a little more than that but R.J. Sigurdson, you want to talk to the-
2: Well, thank you for the question. What I would like to comment first on is, of course, since we started APAC back in January, the minister was very clear that if we could find recommendations uh, that we could action right away that we're gonna have a material impact on improving the EMS system, we're gonna move on them right away, and we have. Uh, In addition to the 10-point plan by EMS, of course, 10 recommendations, including a couple pilots, uh, are happening already. And some of the recommendations through APAC are uh, currently moving forward and going to be implemented uh, right away. So we're definitely not holding back so far. Um, Having both reports together, of course, we are going to um, bring both the reports together now to be able to move forward with a short-term, medium-term strategy. Uh, Definitely the reports uh, cooperate each other in a lot of areas, so we're going to focus on on those uh, those items and definitely move uh, forward with the areas in which we think are going to have the quickest and most impactful improvement to our EMS system. Thank you, Catherine. Do you have a follow-up?
7: Yeah, and off the top, I know, um, Health Minister, you had said that we're kind of through the worst of the pandemic right now, Um, But, I mean, it looks like part of the huge pressure on EMS is everything to do with the pandemic, like deferred care, and also the opioid crisis. So what, if anything, are you going to do different? Or what, if anything, have you learned about how much pressure was on the system this season?
1: So thanks for the question. You know, as we are in an endemic phase, uh, and the you know, at, you know, we took a look at the uh, demands placed on our EMS system, particularly um, when we were in the uh, the height of the pandemic, and interfacility transfers um, was a, it was a huge had a huge impact on our system, which is directly related to the uh, to the pandemic. Um, you know, load leveling between hospitals to be able to provide the care. Um, that aspect is less now, but the reality is, is that we are even though we're in an endemic phase, um, you know, the two and a half years uh, of stress on our system, uh, people are tired. Uh, and so that's, you know, part of the challenges of uh, us, you know, uh, f- you know, filling some of the vacancies. So there still is an impact, but you're quite right. You know, what's driving, um, the, uh, the volumes right now is a, is a combination of, 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 you know, increased complexity, um, higher levels of acuity uh, in terms of the care. So, you know, what have we learned? Well, one of the, you know, the, the, one of the big things that we learned is that we can't treat, you know, uh, ambulances as all the same. Um, you know, we need to, and this is why we're moving forward with NAT vans, uh, interfacility transfers. Where there's lower acuity transport needs, um, using our high, highest level uh, emergency response unit isn't the best way. So that's, you know, that came out of the APEC report, and we're moving on that, uh, we're moving on that as we speak in terms of implementing those changes uh, and then as well as in terms of you know how do we create a, a uh, an environment a working environment to uh, retain and then attract more paramedics um, both from a scheduling standpoint and from a mental health standpoint again heard that loud and clear at APEC report and that's actually what we're, we're moving forward on.
5: Thank you very much everyone that's all the time we have today uh, if we couldn't get to your question please follow up with our office thanks.